Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show, your source for the latest news and trends in the e-commerce industry. Featuring host Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, Chief Commerce Strategy Officer and Publicist, and Scott Wingo, CEO of Get Spiffy and co-founder of Channel Advisor. Here are Jason and Scott. Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. This is episode 257, being recorded on Wednesday, March 17th, 2021. I'm your host, Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, and as usual, I'm here with your co-host, Scott Wingo. Hey, Jason, and welcome back, Jason and Scott Show listeners. Jason, uh, as you know, when we look at our analytics and based on feedback we get from listeners, some of our most popular shows over the years are where we get super de duper geeky um, and we go really deep on one topic. We call those, um, with what I think is a genius of marketing, we call those deep dives. Jason and Scott Show Deep Dive. So we have been, I've been reading a ton about a big change coming uh, to the overall ecosystem of advertising, and it's uh, initiated by Apple, and it's called IDFA. And as you know, I read a lot of Wall Street stuff, and some of the Wall Street folks are freaking out because they're basically saying this is going to be big and the world's not paying enough attention. And, you know, in my mind, I'm kind of like, ah, oh, that's ad world. That doesn't really impact e-commerce. But then I've started to see it getting really uh, noisy around the impact to folks on the e-commerce side, too. So I looked around and called everyone I know, and uh, none of them were experts on this. So I last-ditch effort, I said, hmm, maybe my podcast co-host knows a little bit about this, seeing as he works for one of the world's largest ad agencies. And lo and behold... I was right. You you do uh, you are a ninja on this. So uh, I know enough about this topic to have a lot of questions, <laughs> but I have no answers. So um, we're going to kind of uh, flip it a little bit here, and I'm going to interview you on this topic. How does that feel? How does it feel to be in the chair? I'm terrified. Couch? I like being the one to ask the questions and know the questions in advance. So I feel like that uh, the I should have come to rehearsal. Yeah, I put some curveballs in here. And we'll, we'll see how it goes. Um, so let's start at the top. The um, Maybe a little bit of background on this issue um, kind of starts with cookies. So if we, uh, you know, if we do the Wayback Machine, let's start at cookies. Uh, and I think a lot of us know the basics of cookies, but just to kind of make sure, uh, you know, because a lot of some people in e-commerce don't really worry about this just because it kind of works, right? You, you don't really you know, have to worry about it um, per se. But, you know, I'm pretty familiar with first party and third party cookies, but maybe maybe start at the beginning and why do cookies exist? What's the difference between first and third party cookies? And, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, awesome. Um, and let, maybe one precursor. I uh, you've are vastly oversold me. I definitely don't want to claim to be an expert in this stuff. Um, the you're the chief digital retail cookie tracking IDFA officer. So one would think, therefore, that I was an ad tech guru. But let me just say, this stuff is super complicated. Um, it's an alphabet soup, by the way. Anyone that's an expert in this space is apparently not, by contract, not allowed to use any full words. They can only use acronyms for everything, which is super complicated. 
And it's been my experience. Like I've been in the room with CMOs that spend a fortune on all these digital ad products and programmatic products. And the more you talk to them, you start to realize, oh my God, they don't understand these ad products either. <laughs> um, so I, I would just say like, no one should feel bad uh, that doesn't completely grasp this topic because it is really complicated. And uh, you and I will do our best to to simplify that. Um, and so what? So great point. Let's start with cookies. Well, I'll also give you a pass because um, this thing, the IDFA we're going to talk about isn't even out yet. Um, so so you know, we're we're anticipating uh, a lot of stuff and it's sure to be, you know, I think we'll be close um, and there's enough to know kind of the general topic, but. Some of the specific details may change once it's released. Yeah, a lot of changes still in flight for sure. Um, so cookies. Cookies are just a simple little text file that sits on your computer that stores data from your browser. And so the the kind of fundamental first use case is um, you like to read the Wall Street Journal every day and you have an account with the Wall Street Journal and you don't want to have to type your username in every single time you go to the Wall Street Journal. So you check that little box saying, remember me. Um, so the way the Wall Street Journal remembers you is they get to write a little text file on on your hard drive um, that says, I'm the Wall Street Journal cookie and username equals Scott Wingo. Um, so it's, it's a way for websites to store data on your computer that they can use in future visits. Side note, Wall Street Journal is the worst example because they they apparently ignore my cookie. But go ahead. Yeah, sorry. I know that's uh, the intent, but they're like the absolute worst. Yeah. So so that I mean, but the the original intent of what are called first party cookies is for a website to store data about their user that could be used to improve their experience in subsequent visits, right? And it was originally about user experiences, but pretty quickly. Uh, evil advertisers figured out that it was a valuable tool to improve and target advertising. Um, and to facilitate that, the browsers were extended to support a new kind of cookie called a third-party cookie. So a first-party cookie is the Wall Street Journal storing your username on the Wall Street Journal. And and literally, the, I, I want to say the name of that cookie file on your computer is, like, is the Wall Street Journal URL um, and so that website's allowed to open that cookie. What third-party cookies are is a way for one website to write a piece of information that then can be read by another website. Um, so by default, the New York Times can't read the Wall Street Journal cookie, so it can't like steal your username from the Wall Street Journal. Um, but now uh, websites could write these third-party cookies that became really useful for advertising. So, for example, uh, you could be shopping for some skis on backcountry.com, and they could write a third-party cookie that says you have a ski um, in the cart that you didn't buy. And then when you, when you go to read the Wall Street Journal, um, you could see an ad for those skis because the Wall Street Journal is allowed to read backcountry.com's third-party cookie and then run a retargeting ad for you. So those those third party cookies are super useful for tracking you across the web and spamming you with ads from each other's uh, websites, and um, that is one of the things that is being phased out in the privacy world is the use of third party cookies. So, yeah. Yep. 
I was uh, just going to add one thing. So a, a ton of people ca- call this the cookie-less future, and that's kind of a misnomer because no one's doing anything to first-party cookies. Like, so they're they're not going away. Um, third-party cookies have been turned off by two of the big browsers. So Safari already um, uh, has third-party cookies off by default. You can opt in to turn them back on. Um, and Facebook blocks third-party cookies. Um, and so the the only browser that still supports uh, for third-party cookies is the browser that's owned by the largest advertising network in the world, which is Google. Um, and they have now announced that they're going to be eliminating third-party cookies um, in early 2022. How about uh, Microsoft with uh, IE or Edge, I think, is the, the official new name of their browser? Are they Have they already... Yeah, so I think here's Firefox I'm getting was the into first, a slightly right? so gray was... area. Um, there are two flavors of Edge. There's um, kind of uh, Microsoft's old browsers, and the modern versions of Edge are based on Chromium. And I believe, but I'm not certain, that um, the that third-party cookies are not are, uh, have not been depreciated in any Chromium browser um, as of yet. But I, I could be uh, I could be mistaken. Okay, um, and then give us an idea of the scale of this. Like, if third party cookies all went away, you know, how many users are being tracked with them? And you know, what are some of the you, you mentioned uh, what what's classically called retargeting that seems to be like squarely in the crosshairs here. But what are some of the other things that would be you know if I if I do a Google CPC ad, is that going to be impacted by this? Yeah. Um, so so scale-wise, uh, as we sit here today, and this moves around a little bit, but Safari is about 19% of the worldwide browser share. So third-party cookies already don't work there. Um, Firefox is like 4%. Third-party cookies don't work. And Chrome is about 64%. So it's it's uh, third-party cookies have been going away for a couple years. I think this started in 2017 that uh, Safari started turning off some third-party cookies. And um, uh, when Chrome turns them off, like they, they will essentially be dead. Um, the turnoff has been very graceful so far because like Safari didn't even just say all third-party cookies are off. What they said is third-party cookies are going to have a very short lifespan. So maybe they used to live forever now they automatically get deleted every two weeks, and then they automatically get deleted every week. So we've kind of had this slow, gradual erosion of, of third-party cookies. But once Chrome turns them off, uh, the expectation is uh, that nobody's going to bother to use them because even if there's some niche browsers that still leave them on or a few people opt in for them, they're just not going to be uh, ubiquitous enough to be very useful for advertisers. And so... So, yeah, when you think about the use cases for those third-party cookies, uh, one very definite one is the retargeting ad that we just talked about, that you've got something in your cart and you didn't buy, and now I, as a merchant, can buy ads on other websites you go to to advertise that item, right? So that's a highly personalized one-to-one ad. But the what you may not notice is there's a much more mild version of that that's happening to you a lot more, right? So... Um, Lexus wants to sell uh, sell you a car, and so they want to show you Lexus car ads, right? Well, one of the best places Lexus could buy a car ad would be on carandriverwebs.com, uh, right? Because 
by default, the majority of people on CarDriver.com are car enthusiasts. They're they're more likely to be in market for a new vehicle, um, and so you know the one of the most effective places I could place an ad, a car ad would be on a car enthusiast website. That's also the most expensive place to buy a car ad, right? Um, and so maybe I do buy some car ads on that site, or maybe I can't afford any car ads on that site. But I'd like to advertise to car enthusiasts, even though I can't afford the the car and driver ad rate, right? Um, so what third-party cookies let me do is say, I would like to buy an ad on uh, CNET.com for people that have previously visited carandriver.com, right? So it's not a personalized ad. It's not a unique ad to Scott Wingo. But it's an ad to a cohort of car enthusiasts. And I probably don't specifically say I want to buy visitors from carandriver.com. I probably say I want to buy ads from anyone that has visited any one of a bundle of car enthusiast websites. So so there's a ton of ads you see on the 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 web that are lightly targeted based on um, uh, your previous browsing behavior. Um, right. And the uh, so they're kind of like these real time auctions. Right. So someone's going to CNET and CNET says, hey, I've got a, a page view coming up here from this this cohort, uh, you know, that we're going to call car buyers. Who wants who wants to pay for this person? And there's like a little mini auction that goes on. Right? That's kind of how the ad, ad networks work. Right. Exactly. And so they're highly efficient. They get the maximum amount of money they can that the market will bear yeah. um, for, for all of those ads. And by the way. Uh, while advertising people love these and ad networks love selling these ads, like it's it's debatable how effective they are because it, in in my hypothetical example, you're never going to buy a Lexus. Like I <laughs> like I know you're a Tesla guy. The fact that you go to tar- car and driver doesn't actually mean you have a greater affinity for buying a Lexus if you see an ad. Um, but that's the supposition in in all of these ads. So they're more likely to be more more buyers in that pool so that they like there clearly is some efficacy, but sometimes people go overboard and thinking about how effective they are. Um, but third party cookies are useful for a couple other use cases as well. Um, so, so one that I suspect we'll talk about a lot later uh, is our friends at Facebook, right? And Facebook invented one of the most evilly genius things on the web. They invented this like button. And so, you know, when you're on Facebook, you see these all these like buttons. You can click for various content to say you like it. And there are a bunch of reasons that's useful for Facebook. But Facebook conned a bunch of other websites in also having a like button on their website, right? And almost every time you see an article, there's probably a like button that you could click on that article. And um, guess what that's doing? Like, that's putting data in a third-party cookie that Facebook can read. Um, and so it actually gives Facebook a ton of insight about how Facebook users behave all across the web. And so Facebook absorbs all that data and they, they can use it in two ways. They can actually sell ads on properties other than their own. And both Facebook and Google do this. So they, they sell ads off of their, their endemic properties. And those ads are highly targeted just like on their endemic properties and they're targeted using this third-party cookie metaphor uh, construct. But then also Facebook is collecting a bunch of data that they put into their machine learning models and learn more how customers behave and what their propensity to buy and do certain things is. So 
one of Facebook's most popular ad products is this thing called a lookalike audience. And so essentially you go to Facebook and you say, I've got a thousand customers that get spiffy that are my most valuable customers. And I would like to buy ads that get shown to people that are exactly like those customers. And Facebook says, great, give me their email addresses. And they look at the uh, you you hand them your email addresses for your thousand favorite customers. And they use a super secret black box algorithm of machine learning that they run that through. They find those users, which they likely already know those users, too, through all of these these various network touch points. And then they say, what similarities do they have with the other billion users we have on Facebook? And they 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 find you legitimately 50,000 more customers that are probably pretty similar to your thousand best customers. And then they they run a really expensive auction to get you to buy uh, ads targeting those those customers. And so even if that ad shows up on Facebook and they they didn't need a third party ad to show that uh, a third party cookie to show that ad. They they relied on a lot of data they collected from third party cookies in order to build that lookalike audience in the first place. Got it. So when I say give me a lookalike audience, they're not just saying okay, it's you know females that are twenty two to forty, the demographic they're saying, and they also go to these websites and they also you know log into you know so they're they're they're. That three P data, the third party cookie, the first party stuff they know already, like what you're doing on Facebook, but they're also tracking all that off Facebook activity, and, and that helps them build a better profile. Exactly. So, like, like a, a a dumber programmatic ad is to just target the ad based on a demographic or psychographic. I want to uh, buy ads for people that live within, you know, in a geography where Get Spiffy's offered. Right. I don't want to waste money running ads in geographies uh, in the few geographies where there's not a Get Spiffy yet. Um, so that, that makes sense as an ad. That's super simple. It's just a kind of a hard rule. The, uh, show the ad in these zip codes, not in these zip codes. Um, but maybe, you know, people in a certain age range or a certain gender have a better propensity or, or even a certain income bracket or something like that. You know, you can, you can target based on all these attributes. And, and most of these at and works offer hundreds of demographic and psychographic attributes. But the lookalike audience is even fancier than that. They they won't tell you what goes into the lookalike audience, but it's more likely to yield customers that behave the same way as the customers you give them than just a demographic or psychographic profile would get you. Got it. Okay, so that's a good setup. Um, so third-party cookies are under assault, and we haven't even talked about IDFA yet. So. Uh, along comes this IDFA, and this is kind of like step, I don't know, six to 10, somewhere in there of a multi-step journey where, uh, you know, more and more privacy issues or, or initiatives are limiting not only cookies, but any tracking. So maybe give us a little background on, on these, these, these other things that have kind of led to IDFA. Yeah. So, so uh, again, I'm trying to avoid the acronym soup, but IDFA is a um, is an acronym from Apple, and it's called the Apple Identifier for Advertisers. And the, the this is something that's specific to mobile apps. And the way to think of this is it's a, a unique serial number for every mobile device that has Apple uh, Apple's operating system. So some people like to call this, like a nice metaphor for this is it's a digital license plate um, so that, see, you know, people can identify... 
your car uniquely when it when it drives drives through the mobile ecosystem. Um, the of course your your device has a unique number on the modem called the MAC address, which is the the actual like serial number of your modem, and you have a unique number from the the wireless carrier. Um, so, uh, but those numbers, it's been illegal for, for, um, app developers to use for a while, like the, uh, because of privacy concerns. And so, um, and so the IDFA was invented so that Apple would have a unique number for every user that advertisers could use and marketers could use, but that a user could change or delete or opt out of if they wanted to, right? Like you can't delete your your modem serial number, which is why advertisers aren't allowed to use that, but you can and have been able to for a long time opt out of of having your IDFA be public. So by default, your IDFA is public; everyone can see it. You you can in fact opt out, and and allegedly about thirty percent of Apple users opt out of IDFA. So so today, about thirty percent of users already have turned this off. Um, but they had to know how to dig into the Apple settings and turn it off. So the big change that Apple's talking about um, is instead of making IDFA opt out, they're going to make it opt in, which means uh, everyone that wants to use the IDFA in in their mobile apps is going to have to explicitly ask your permission before they do that. And, and I, I know you have some questions, but side note, there's an an exact equivalent that Google offers for um, the Android operating system. And, and uh, it's called Google play service ID for Android, um, which uh, you'll hear this acronym way less, but it's, it's GPS ADID. So app, Apple and Google each have a, yeah, a digital license plate. Um, and Apple has uh, sometime last year, Apple announced that, uh, uh, sometime this year, and probably March or April is the the latest date. Um, they're going to pivot to from opt out of that digital license plate to opt in for that digital license plate. Okay. Um. So that means on my you know. So they recently did a change on my iPhone where you know I would the default was you would share your 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 location for example the GPS uh, and then it got like. Now, for example, it will very occasionally pop up and say, hey, this app's tracking where you are. Do you want to allow that? Um, you know, never just while it's running or always. Um, so is that going to be what the user experience is down the road? I'm going to some some I'll be using an app and it will say, hey, this app is tracking you. Do you want to allow it or not? Is, yeah. is that kind of what's going to so, happen? So if you were starting in the in iOS from scratch, you bought a new device you and you installed it, you know, from scratch. Every time you installed an app that wanted access to your your digital license plate, your IDFA, um, a, a requester would come up saying, this app intends to do X, Y, and Z. Do you allow tracking or not allow tracking? And, and there's some controversy over that language, so we could talk about that later if you want. Um, so that's how it would work on a go-forward basis. But as you pointed out, you likely already have a phone that has hundreds of apps installed on it. And you're likely going to upgrade to this new uh, variant of Apple's uh, iOS 14 when it comes out. Um, and and you have a bunch of apps where you, by default, already opted into IDFA. So the way Apple handles that is over some short grace period, every time you try to use one of those apps, it's going to 
reconfirm uh, that you're still okay with IDFA being turned on by by popping up this requester and saying uh, Facebook has been tracking you across all the mobile apps you use on the website. Do you want to continue to allow them to track or do you want to disallow it? Got it. Okay, so just to reorient, um, a lot of the cookie stuff is really kind of browser-based. A lot of this this IDFA and these these little digital license plate-y things they're more app based, um, but they're both under pressure. Um, and the IDFA is essentially the same as getting rid of third party cookies, but the way apps track you is that is that a fair for iOS? Yes, for iOS, got it. And this is this is material because you know we see these stats all the time that you know over half of e-commerce uh, you know uh, transactions now I guess are mobile, and you know more than 70 percent of traffic is mobile. Um, and then, you know, iOS is something like 60, 70% of, of e-commerce. Um, for some reason it over indexes, even though, you know, there it's about, I think Android has higher market share. iOS has higher e-commerce share. Um, yeah. Is that in general is that worldwide true? the shares about 50, 50, um, between, uh, Android and, and Apple, but, uh, uh, Apple users tend in a variety of ways to spend more money. So from a commerce standpoint, they're more valuable. Got it. Okay. And then I think you said it in there, but this is going to come out in spring of 2021. It's going to be a part of a new 14 uh, iOS 14 release. Uh, I heard today someone say end of March. So maybe that's, maybe it's, it's coming pretty soon. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's the beta is out. Um, so, so this behave like, uh, developers, and even if you're not a developer, I think you can now install, there's an open version of this beta. Um, so it's just a matter of when they push it and they haven't announced the exact push date, but it's, you know, given that, that it's in open beta right now, it can't, it's, it's not going to be too long. Yeah. So, um, you know, our listeners are out there and hopefully they've stuck through this and, you know, so they're kind of thinking, (laughs) what's this mean for me? Right. So, so number one, third-party cookies. A lot of them rely on that. Uh, but then number two, a, a lot of us in the e-commerce ecosystem, and you know, you know, full disclosure, this is true at Spiffy. Um, you know, uh, it seems like the Google type of ad spend will still work pretty well because you've got your keyword and all that stuff's pretty linear, if you will. But it seems like this could really break Facebook because if the Facebook, so you know, um, Facebook's largest share is through the app. Uh, there's some bazillion people logged into that app all the time, every day doing a lot of activity. And when I say Facebook, I'm including Instagram in the the whole family there. Um, and, you know, so now, now either Facebook won't be able to track totally or they're, they will be hobbled because they're no longer able to use a bunch of other data. Um, so it seems like this will decrease the efficacy of e-commerce people that are using Facebook as a channel. Is that is that kind of how it all ties together? Uh, potentially. Um, I think it's definitely fair to say that Facebook is kind of that odd man out in all these games, right? Because essentially, we, we haven't really explicitly said this, but there's there's this interesting conflict between two popular trends, right? Like there's a, there's a popular privacy trend in the world where users are saying we should have more privacy and big corporations shouldn't be allowed to do a bunch of stuff with our data and monetize us without our permission, right? So there's kind of, you know, a lot of laws that have been passed in California and Europe that, you know, kind of impact how we all do business on the web that are more privacy centric. And so you, um, and uh, Google, Apple, and Facebook have all been sued 
um, for violations of these privacy laws, right? And and uh, some of the things they've explicitly been sued for are these mechanisms like third-party cookies and IDFA advertising. Um, and so one way to avoid getting sued is to uh, make these more privacy-centric changes, right? And so, you know, if you ask them, if you ask Google and, and uh, Apple why they're making these changes, it's because because uh, users want privacy and we don't think that, you know, these things are the right thing to do would be their kind of, like, not completely credible, self-serving um, position. Yeah, they want to, you know, legislation's coming and they kind of want to get in front of it. Like, you can either, yeah. you can be so, legislated or you can self yeah, and that is for sure the talking point, and that it has the added advantage of being at least partially true, right? Like, um, but the the second huge trend in the world that I know is your favorite topic of all times is antitrust, right? And like, are there certain companies that have this monopolistic power, and they're so powerful that they can do things that aren't in a in a consumer's best interest? And uh, there are a lot of people that accuse. Apple and Google um, of using their their alleged monopoly power um, in in this privacy dispute, right? Like because, for example, um, Google uh, the main Google ad product is buying ads that show up in search results on Google, right? And those are not impacted by any of the changes we just talked about, right? If you type Lexus into a search term, Google can show you a Lexus ad. Um, and they make a fortune doing that, right? And so they're they're collecting unique information about Scott searches and um, uh, selling ads to advertisers based on your search behavior. Um, what they're what they're saying is other people shouldn't be allowed to do that using web browsing behavior in the same way we do it for search behavior, right? And um, a lot of people would say Google built this huge business. They uh, that business enabled them to get a ton of traffic, and now that they have a ton of traffic and users locked into their ecosystem, um, now they're making it way harder for anyone else to come behind them and do what they did. Right? Um, and Apple equally, like one of the kind of nefarious things in all this is Apple sells ads. You can. Um, buy an ad in the app store that shows up in search to try to entice users to install your mobile app that you then make money on, right? And the the number one place you're competing with uh, for that ad is an ad on Facebook to get you to install an app. And so what is Apple doing? They're making it way harder for Facebook to sell an ad to get you to install an app, but it's exactly... Uh, equal uh i mean it's exactly as easy as it's always been for apple to sell you that ad um and so that there's this weird conflict between antitrust and privacy and and apple and uh google are both wrapping their themselves in the flags of privacy and potentially getting a little more smelly in antitrust and facebook is the odd man out here right because privacy is controlled by the ecosystem the browser ecosystem and the mobile app ecosystem, right? So Google is the big winner because they have a mobile app and uh, a browser, the biggest browser. Um, Apple has the most valuable mobile ecosystem. Facebook has neither, right? So they've, they've been a huge beneficiary of, of programmatic ads and, uh, and tracking consumers to, to create better ad products and monetizing their customer base. Um, and now their their destiny is the least in their own hands because 
all all of that data, you know, is is going through these these doors that are controlled by by uh, their their sometimes rivals, Apple and Google. And so, you know, one way I like to talk about this is these these companies built these huge businesses and they're trying to make it harder for people to follow in their footsteps. It's kind of like they climbed up a really tall ladder and now that they're at the top of the hill, they're pulling up the ladder behind them so that no one can follow them. Yeah, so Apple and Google are winners in this because they just control so much. And then Facebook is going to be under pressure, but they're they're ginormous, so they'll they'll be fine. Uh, but it's it's you know there's an argument to be made it will stifle innovation in this 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 whole world because you know it's going to make it almost impossible for another ecosystem to be born at this point because the new rules favor the 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 existing folks. Yeah. So, so the way to think of that is definitely Facebook is a loser compared to Apple and Google in these changes, but the only compared to those two compared to anyone else, Facebook has this huge advantage because they have a ton of their own users and they, they still get to collect first party data about their own users when they're on Facebook. Right. So, so a way bigger loser would be Condi Nast, like someone that produces content and tries to monetize that content through ads that doesn't have near the user base that Facebook has, right? So all of these content publishers get more hurt by this than Facebook does. And who gets more hurt than any of them is some new startup content um, uh, venture that, that you know, is going to be born tomorrow. And it's going to be much harder for them to build their business than it was the incumbents. Yeah, because the publishers are almost all getting the optimization of their ads through either an app kind of a thing like we've talked about or um, through third-party cookies. So they're, they're getting kind of the, you know, effectively ad-supported content is going to be under a ton of pressure. Exactly. And and yeah. that's particularly where, yeah, the third-party cookies come in is the um, is a lot of the ads you see on all those publishers are placed by Google or Facebook using uh, these lookalike audiences and the, and the third-party cookies. So that's one of the, the services that gets br- uh, diminished um, as as third party cookies are less popular, and increasingly people are consuming a lot of content and news through mobile apps, um, so they would use the IDFA to do those same services, um, and and so the all of those things are breaking. If if you were a mobile app um, that that monetized yourself by selling ads in your mobile app, as many games, for example, do, uh, it's it's the ads you can sell are going to be way less valuable after uh idfa is opt-in than they are today and so like yeah yeah how about user behavior let's say i'm best buy and i have an app out there and i get all this cool tracking where you know um maybe you log in and know who you are but maybe you don't log in and i try to do some personalization or something or or even i have a little ad network inside of there what what's going to break break in the best buy app if someone doesn't this idfa thing goes into effect i get that question and the way they're wording the question, it's essentially like, you know, do you want to sell your soul to the devil? Yes or no. So, yeah. so I assume a lot of people are going to say, no, do you, do you have a point of view on how many people will say yes or no? Yeah. So, uh, it's all speculation and in the beta, the, the language has changed a bunch of times. And so how the language matters a lot in the likelihood of opting in. Um, so for example, like same question, it's the same IDFA question. If I say, um, this website uses your uh, behavior across the web to improve your customer experience. Uh, can I continue? Um, a lot of people will say, sure. But if the, if the question says, 
this website tracks you across a bunch of uh, other websites and uses that to sell ads to you. Um, can uh, can they continue to track? Um, the, <laughs> like you're going to say no. <laughs> um, yeah. It's uh, so so the the vernacular matters a lot. Um, it started out in these betas more friendly, and it's getting more overt. Um, I I don't think that that we've landed on the final language. I actually do believe that in the release, the publisher is going to be able to make a case for why you should opt in. So I think they're going to be able to provide some of the language. Um, But the text on the button, they don't get to control. And the text on the button right now is pretty negative. It says uh, allow to track. It doesn't say like enable experience or anything like that. It says like, allowed to track and viscerally people don't want to get tracked. So um, today the estimates are that about 70% of people have IDFA turned on because you it's, it's opt uh, out. You'd have to opt out to not do it. Um, the, the, uh, the speculation is that only 10 or 15% of users will uh, click allow to track. Now, some of that is uh, Chicken Little saying the the sky is falling, right? Like Facebook is saying no one's going to opt into that because they're arguing in favor of changing it and not doing it, right? And so they're they're trying to paint the most dire version of this for now. I don't know if they really believe that dire version or not, but that that that's kind of the order of magnitude. We could go from fifteen percent of the uh, mobile apps uh, having users that are identified, or seventy percent having apps that are identifiable to ten. Got it. Okay, back to my Best Buy example. Sorry. So, so uh, now I'm Best Buy. I've spent bazillions of dollars in this awesome app, and you know, I pop up this thing that says, "Hey, we're going to try to offer you a custom experience," and then the button says, "Allow tracking," and then you know, most people say no. What's going to happen to my Best Buy app? Like, what's um, you know, yep. what am I going to lose as the retailer? Yeah. So um, the in in the app, uh, a couple of things like you. You there may be retargeting app uh, ads in some mobile apps, right? So maybe you read the Wall Street Journal in a mobile app. Um, maybe you read it through Apple Newsfeed, or you read it through Google News, or some other app. Um, there, uh, Best Buy may have popped up a retargeting ad on that uh, in that mobile app um, when it sees that you had a Sony PlayStation Five in your box, and they finally got them back in stock. Um, Hypothetical because I know they don't have any. Um, the um, so so the their ability to do those retargeting ads in other apps goes away. Um, the but the bigger deal I would argue for retailers and their their mobile apps is the the amount of insight they get about their users goes away. Right so. At the moment, when when you're opted in and you've installed the Best Buy app on your phone, Best Buy can use that IDFA to see what other apps you run. Um, and so they can build uh, um, profiles of you that they put in their customer database, what they would call their CDP, um, their customer data profile, uh, that you know say, hey, Scott is a Best Buy Rewards member. He has the Best Buy mobile app installed, and we also know that he spends an awful lot of time in Pokemon. Um, okay, and theoretically, so 
they may find other uh, hypothetically speaking, of course. Um, <laughs> yes. And so they may find that like, oh, there are other other uh, people in Scott's age bracket that are also rewards members and and spend a lot of time in Pokemon do this. And so they uh, they they could use that in a whole variety of ways. So it it gives them less visibility about their users. I uh, I would argue that the the. the Third-party cookie changes more material for a, a wholesale retailer like Best Buy than the the IDFA changes because just to be honest, outside of a few retailers, it's a very small percentage of a retailer's traffic comes through a mobile app. Uh, retailers haven't been super successful at getting getting uh, their mobile app used, but if you're a publisher, um, and particularly if you're a, a game in the game industry. Um, the, or if you're in advertising and particularly if you're advertising for installation of mobile apps, those are all the, the segments that are likely to get most wallet by IDFA. Cool. Well, that is a good segue because it wouldn't be a Jason and Scott show if we didn't talk about Amazon. So Amazon is the one retailer, um, you know, you and I, uh, are, we, we get a lot of the data and when you look at the Comscore data, uh, their app is kind of in the pole position. It's always the highest used retail app. Um, they've said, I think publicly that, you know, over half of their volume comes from the Apple app or, or the Amazon app. Um, what's the impact to Amazon on both the app side? And then also if they lose this third party cookie thing, um, what happens to, to Amazon? Yeah. So, so there are negatives for Amazon in both. Um, so again, because they have way more mobile app users than than others, um, they get to uh, they'll, they'll lose some insight that they're gaining right now about uh, a big chunk of their customer base. Um, they they do run a bunch of ads uh, all over the internet, and so they'll they'll have a little less visibility about how those customers are behaving on on third party sites, um, but. All of that uh, is outweighed by the fact that it actually makes buying an ad from Amazon way more valuable, right? So when when like the the IDFA and the third party cookies are really about um, using behavior on one property to target a user on another property, and fundamentally, when that practice goes away then the best advertisers are going to be the ones that have the most eyeballs on their own properties and the the cust- the companies that know the most about those users about those eyeballs right and so you think about and it and they have ads inside their property too right exactly so, and yeah. exactly so those those are called first party ads and like they're not affected by any of these changes so amazon can still use every browsing behavior and purchase behavior you've ever done in the Amazon ecosystem on their website or their app um, to run their own ads to you when you're on an Amazon property or run any other advertisers ads for you while they're on their own property. Right. And so what happens is when the, the open internet becomes harder to advertise on because of all these changes, um, you're more likely to want to buy ads in a walled garden where the ad network has a bunch of data about their users. So you're more likely to buy an ad that shows up on Facebook uh, for Facebook users. You're more likely to buy a search ad on Google um, in their first-party ecosystem. And you're way more likely to buy an ad on Amazon because you're 
your ability to do um, cross-site advertising on Condé Nast content sites gets diminished. So uh, I would I would argue that while there's some, I'm sure there's some negatives for Amazon and some annoyances. Net net, it's it's going to draw consolidate more advertising onto Amazon and and uh, help them more to a lesser extent. It actually makes it more appealing for other very large retailers to lean into their own advertising networks for that same reason. So I would also argue Walmart, for example, is a beneficiary of this trend. And you and we've seen them in the last year making huge investments in selling selling their ads. They're not as successful as Amazon, but their upside is actually as big or bigger than than Amazon because they can also sell ads and now do to customers that walk in a Walmart store. They show ads on the self-service checkout and they show, show ads on the TV wall and you you can buy programmatic ads on all of those things through Walmart Connect, which is kind of their version of uh, Amazon Marketing Group. Um, the publisher thing was interesting because it almost made me think, well, if I'm Amazon, I go to Condé Nast and say, let me, let me host your content and then I can actually monetize it for you and you know i know google and and um you know to some extent facebook do that through that uh that accelerator you think what is that there's a three-letter acronym for it where they they do it because they claim it's faster right um but i wonder if you know, think you think that's going to be part of what this does is it starts to it, create these it does mega it gives them leverage to stuff? keep more users on their ecosystem and get uh, potentially force other people to syndicate experiences and content to them that otherwise might not want to do that. Right. And so for, for sure, like Amazon is a significant publisher, as you know, like they, they have their own, you know, wildly popular TV channel in, in prime video. And now they're doing live streaming video and they're doing all these, these and Twitch that they already are a publisher. So it's, it will be super natural for them to, to leverage this endemic advantage. Um, uh, the another super Im- interesting impact along those same lines is today Facebook was perfectly happy to run an ad on its network and then send you to a Shopify site to buy something, right? Because they using third party cookies, they could actually know that you bought that thing on on the Shopify site and tell that advertiser that the ad worked, um, and and they had a nice little ecosystem. Well, with third-party cookies going away, it's actually way better for Facebook to say, you know what, we should be selling stuff on Facebook. And so in in my mind, it increases the priority on f- Facebook to capture the commerce activity on their platform. Because otherwise, they look at Amazon catch nipping at their heels and saying, oh, my God, Amazon's learning a lot more about their, their consumers in their walled garden than we are in our walled garden, and we're going to keep leaking advertisers from Facebook to Amazon. And so I, I think Facebook had already figured this out, but I think this like uh, really accelerates Facebook's need to win endemic commerce. And I would argue in the long run, that's that's not super favorable to Shopify because there's a ton of the the D2C companies that that have been most successful on Shopify, like their primary source of traffic is buying ads on Facebook. And increasingly, Facebook's going to want to say, Hey, let's close those sales on Facebook. Yeah, that's one of the reasons I really want to talk about this because I started to read some articles that are, and I can't tell how chicken little they are, but they're essentially saying, you know, look, a big chunk of the Shopify world is going to be 
be attacked. So Shopify is getting attacked from Amazon. We've, we've talked just generally, you know, we've talked about this and you and I have different opinions of how, how that's going to happen. But I think, I think we all agree that Amazon has Shopify in their sites. Um, but now you have effectively Facebook's been a good partner for Shopify, but this change caused by Apple has a domino effect that if I'm now Facebook, I want to cut Shopify out of that because I want to own the checkout. So that's another side. And then, you know, um, you know, some large percentage of Shopify sales are driven through these DNVBs and these brands that are by influencers that are really living off of either the third party cookie to track that stuff or the, the, you know, the IDFA um, changes. If it's in the app, it's going to change pretty dramatically. Is, is there a way to, well, first of all, do you agree with that? And then second, you know, is this a 2% thing? Is this like, half of half of shopify i i know they don't disclose yeah. it but i'm just kind of wondering yeah i don't think there's any the way to scale of the impact to really know um and and again like this i i think the the forced behavioral changes are going to be pretty significant um whether that forced behavior change like really wall up shopify or not i think is even harder to predict and like and again at the moment like everybody's crying popper right and it's a little bit like Everybody who's under, under antitrust investigation, you know, says, oh, my gosh, if we're forced to split up, like it's it's going to be the worst outcome for consumers ever. Um, mm-hmm. And in, internally, they may or may not really believe that, but they, they want to paint the most dire picture so that, you know, they can mitigate what happens to them. A lot of that's happening right now. Right. Um, so, I, you know, Facebook is saying, hey, an individual advertisers ad effectiveness might go down by 50 percent because of this change. Yeah. So. Uh, but it's amplified because they're trying to make it seem worse than this. Yeah, but they're, they are <laughs> painting the worst case p- t- picture. And what they really mean is a Facebook ad that's not on Facebook, right? Which is like 7% of Facebook's ads. So so 7% of their ads might go down by 50%. And But the ads that are on Facebook might be a little less effective because Facebook gets a little less data, but it's probably not as bad. So I, I think it's it's hard to um, quantify these things, but I, I do think it's... It's potentially um, an uh, a a I hate to use this word, but like I, I think it potentially is a paradigm shift for some of these things, and just just at Ooh, the high- paradigm shift. Yeah, we need an audio for paradigm shift. I, yeah, we'll have to get one of those. Uh, but I do. I, I think fundamentally, like you have this open web, and there's this like notion of of interoperability between multiple sites and experiences across multiple sites, and and as these privacy changes get locked down, essentially what it does is it says the best, most effective experiences are going to be uh, for users inside of a walled garden and and inside of a, a large, well-established walled garden that got built before these changes were implemented. So it, it it's really favorable to the incumbents. It's really fa- favorable to the 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 kind of fang um guys if you will and i and you know they were already winning but i do think this this makes it harder to imagine um you know some some new version of instagram emerging and growing really big really fast or tiktok you know or you know monetizing as quickly or any of those kinds of things so um yeah it's significant do you think it'll be like a uh, severe enough that like it's interesting you mentioned fang because the end and fang is netflix and, you know, they have a massive amount of first party data, right? So, you know, are they going to add like some 
publishery kinds of things because they have all this data. Yeah, or, I'll bet you they I, are. I wonder. All, all of the good wall gardens are right now saying, hey, uh, some of that money that's getting broken that was out in the rest of the internet, like how do I get you know a di- uh, more than my fair share of that? Right. Okay. So we got some good stock picks from Jason straight away here. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah side, Just kidding. Side note. Yeah. I, I'm the world's worst stock picker. Don't take financial advice from a chief digital retail IDFA officer. Yeah. You probably shouldn't even take like digital commerce advice. From <laughs> you for sure should not take stock advice. But here you are listening to this show. Yeah. I put all uh, my money in gets biffy franchises. Awesome. Smart. Uh, okay. Where do we go from here? So, so I think that's all interesting, but let's project forward a little bit. You know, cookies are kind of on their deathbed. Um, mobile app tracking is, is, you know, all this, you know, open internet going to more closed internet. What, what are some of the alternatives that are people? Oh, and then I saw Google also just announced not only at the Chrome level, but just generally they're going to get rid of tracking old school tracking. But then they talked about this new thing, which is kind of like some machine learning thing will just kind of assign you a, it yeah. was even creepier, like, because the, yeah, it has the machine an awesome will just acronym, decide. I'll wait to unveil it for a second. Okay. All right. Uh, where do we go from here? And be sure yeah. to highlight all the awesome acronyms. Yeah. So there's a couple of um, uh, alternatives to cookies, right? Like, so what, uh, the, um, fundamentally the, the cookie got processed in a server. And so what, what Google is saying is we think a more privacy centric way is, to keep all the personal data on the on the browser and never send it to the server. So so a lot of these shifts are to kind of move from server based solutions to browser based solutions. Um, the uh, and I'll I'll come back to Google's specific uh, uh, alternative in a minute. Uh, as we already talked about, like what this does a ton is push people onto walled gardens for all of these highly targeted advertising networks because they get to all. Um, work with their first party data and nothing really changes. Uh, there are a bunch of third parties that have what I like to call real ID systems. And so side note, cookies always sucked. They were, they were highly imperfect. We treated them like they were a person, but they weren't. They were a, a specific browser. And a lot of people ran three browsers on their laptop. And then they also had a different browser on their mobile device. And oh, by the way, they may have set cookies to get deleted every two weeks or whatever. Like, so cookies were pretty broken before and could only track you on the web. So the, the big evil marketing geniuses would say, um, hey, let's make our own serial number for Scott Wingo and let's collect a ton of data about him um, across all of his devices and let's buy data from the publishers about how he behaves on the publisher site. And let's buy data from the credit card companies about how he spends money. And we can build this huge um, database about Scott Wingo, not some random cookie, but about Scott Wingo. And then we can use that data to target Scott. So so the big evil ad tech companies um, have have these real ID systems. And so... Uh, there's, there's a company called Trade Desk that has the unified ID. They're partnering with Walmart now. LiveRamp is a, a, a big data provider, and they have this authenticated traffic solution. Um, and uh, my evil corporate overlords own a, uh, a, a huge data provider called Epsilon, and we have a product called Core ID. So, so a lot of us are saying, hey, we have a better ID system than, than IDFA or um, uh, third-party cookies anyway. Um, and, and side note, Google 
published a letter last week saying we think like we're not going to ban those approaches, but we don't think those approaches are very customer privacy centric and we don't like them. Um, so so there now is a, a dispute about the future of those. Um, but that you can buy those services from from any of these marketing agencies. Um, and in the short run, they're certainly going to benefit from the, the these more popular options going away. Um, a lot of people used to do what's called browser fingerprinting, which is they used a lot of signals from your browser to identify you without your cookies. Um, that's mostly been banned by privacy laws, so we won't see a lot of that. Um, there's increasingly this thing called clean rooms where um, a publisher and an advertising network might bring their their uniquely personally identifiable data together to a to kind of a a, a safe room that's not on the internet and temporarily merge their data to build a targeting cohort or to build some uh, some cross channel analytics, um, take the insight and then both take their data and leave so that they never kind of give the other party a chance to see or steal their data, but they get to marry their data temporarily. So, so there's a lot of products kind of um, that are leveraging these clean rooms to do kind of batch processing now that we can't do this real time third party cookies. Um, and then the, the, the Google approach is to do what's co- what we, what I would generally call cohorts. So instead of saying, Hey, we're going to advertise uniquely to Scott Wingo because we know he's a car enthusiast and we're going to show him a Lexus ad. Um, Google is going to build a cohort of people that it thinks are into cars. And it's, it's not going to put that cohort on a server. It's going to put a uh, store your membership in that cohort on your browser, so an ad can pop up for Scott um, that's a car ad, and the car company can buy an ad for just people that have a high affinity for cars, but the no personally identifiable information about Scott ever gets sent to a server. Only Scott's browser knows to show him that ad. Um, and so Google calls this kind of browser-based cohort um, uh a federated learning of cohorts, and they're they're using mm-hmm. machine learning to build them. Um, and so that 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 F L O C is an acronym flock F uh, F L O C, um, and so Google's official replacement for third party cookies is uh, that advertisers can buy um, ads based on on these these machine learn black box generated machine learning cohorts called flocks. Okay, federated. Learning of co- well, that just rolls right up. I like flock better than federated learning of co- yes, yes. But the, <laughs> the idea really- is, is just that, like, hey, there's going to be some taxonomy on your browser, and there's going to be a checkbox next to things that your browser thinks you're interested in, and then those are the things that the you know they're going to be like ads that only trigger when when your browser has one of those boxes checked. Got it. Okay. Awesome. Uh, so. As is our custom at the Jason Scott Show, we are we are kind of getting past time, but uh, and you've talked about a lot of the implications, but it's probably a good kind of summary to kind of walk through. All right, you know, so listeners out there, they are uh, they're loving the deep dive. What's this mean for e-commerce world, and then also the larger ad world and, and the internet? Yeah, well, so I think it, it is likely that a lot of digital ads, a lot of programmatic digital ads, are likely to be either a little or a lot less effective than they were before. And so the the net impact of that is the amount that an advertiser should be willing to pay for one of those ads should go down. So the um so CPM rates for advertisers will go down. And 
in general, what that means is if you built your business based on selling ads, you gave away your game for free, but you showed ads in the in that game. Uh, you gave away your content for free on your news site, but you sold ads in that content. Um, that ad-based business model is less attractive than it used to be. So I suspect that one impact we're going to see is a lot of people are going to pivot from ad-based business models to alternatives, right? So you, that mean, might mean uh, some newspapers that were on the fence about ad-based or paywalls are more likely to move to paywalls because the ad uh, model works less. Um, it means a lot of people that used ads to find you and sell you one thing are more likely to focus on customer lifetime value. They're mo more likely to want to sell you a subscription they're more likely to want to lock you into a platform because all of these kind of uh, one-time ad-based sales are just uh, more expensive, less effective than they used to be. So I think those are kind of some of the the key changes. I do think this clean room thing, you know, continues to grow. Um, and overall, the big winners are the people that have the most first-party data, have the most traffic to their own properties. So the walled gardens, the the big retailers tend to win. Um, I, you know, I, I think this privacy versus antitrust thing is going to, you know, get really ugly and play out in term in all kinds of uh, governmental actions and legislative actions and, and things. And who knows how any of that that plays out. Um, and uh, I I doubt Facebook gets creamed by any of this, but they you know, they, they do probably slightly lose to Apple and Google in all these changes. Got it. Well, it has happened again. We've used up all our allotted time uh, for listeners that uh, are with us and, and enjoying these deep dives. We would love to get your review. Uh, you know, the, the best place to review this is over on iOS in the Apple podcast listener. So um, even if you listen somewhere else, head over there, leave us a review. We would really appreciate that. If you like this kind of content, that's what keeps us going. Jason, appreciate having you on the show uh, this week. <laughs> <laughs> if uh if people want to track you on the internet or learn more about this uh, this idfa topic where can they where would you send them yeah well they should listen to the jason and scott show podcast first and foremost uh but you, you know you, you can also always find me on uh twitter under under retail geek and uh just a quick disclaimer the jason and scott show doesn't track you or know you in any way and never will uh, yeah. So we don't that, flock you. Exactly. Um, so uh, we, uh, but we sure do appreciate you listening. And until next time, happy commercing. You've been listening to the Jason and Scott Show. For all the latest news and trends on e commerce and shopper marketing, subscribe to us on iTunes or visit www.jasonandscott.com. 